Welcome to the World Resources Podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm delighted to welcome to the studio today Steenje van Heldoven. She's a member of the Parliament in the Netherlands, and she's been with us for the past couple of days talking about the circular economy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How did I do on your name? Oh, fantastic. Why don't you say it again <laughs> and make sure people know what it is? Well, my name is uh, Steentje van Veldhoven, and I think my parents never envisaged for me to have an international career, because otherwise they would have given me a very different name. Steentje van Veldhoven uh, is one of the best-known advocates for sustainability in the Netherlands. Your name t uh, frequently comes up among the uh, top 100 greenest people in the country, uh, the greenest politician. I, I can only um, say that with a great deal of envy. I don't even know that we have such a list, and if we had such a list, I'm not sure who I would put at the top of it. So uh, we're really delighted to have you here with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here at WRI. So you went to Capitol Hill today, and uh, my colleague who took you there said beforehand that she'd been in touch with some of the senior staffers there, and even some of those whose job includes the environment were a little puzzled as to circular economy. Some of our listeners probably have an idea, others maybe not. What's the circular economy? Well, actually, if you look at the way our economy functions today, is that we, we make a pair of shoes, we use them, and when there's a hole in it, we just throw it, throw it away. Or actually, maybe only one or two percent of the fibers is actually wasted. We could use the rest of the fibers in the shoe to make a new shoe, and then you would have to add only two percent of new fibers. So the circular economy is about retaining the value of the materials in the economy for as long as possible. So you don't need to add much new material. So what's wrong with the current plan? Because most of the things that we need are either renewable, we can always grow more trees to get fiber, we can raise more cattle to get leather for the shoes, we can tap more rubber trees, we can mine more gold. Uh, isn't it just cheaper to make these things, use them, and then when we're done, you know, we take out the aluminum and a few high value things and the rest we either send to the landfill or burn it and make energy. What's wrong with that model? Well, um, if, we, if the level of the world population would stay exactly where it is right now, then we would probably be able to do this for a little while longer. But the issue is, is that the world population is rising rapidly. We get many more people in China, many more people in Africa, and those people also become more wealthy. Fortunately, because nobody wants to see people dying from hunger in Africa. But the fact that they get more wealthy also means that they start to buy more products. And that means that the demand for all of these resources, which you just described, is going to go through the roof. And that's not sustainable on this planet. So the circular economy is a way that the 7 billion people currently on the planet could enjoy the same levels of stuff that we all have uh, in a way that is sustainable. Yes, that's exactly it. And not just the 7 billion that are now on the planet, but also the billions of people that are prognosed to to come and join us on this planet. We only have one planet. We need to find a way to make it a good place to live for everybody in a sustainable way, which means not just this generation, but also generations to come. So how do we get from where we are now with this make it, use it, throw it away culture to make it, use it, disassemble it, repair it, send it back to the manufacturer? How do we close that loop in the circular economy? Is it mostly a matter of Government intervention, government regulation? Well, actually, interestingly enough, um, you need a number of things. You need good government regulation uh, to set certain standards in the market, but you need a lot of innovative companies that will actually go out there and do it. You need a development of technology, so as to really make sure that you get the right quality of secondary materials. 
Uh, and you need, of course, consumers that also are aware of what they are buying uh, or are investing in. And I think you need all of those things if you want to make the transition to this new economy, which actually is pretty interesting, creates a lot of new jobs and a lot of new revenues because you're just wasting less. I want to come to the jobs piece. You said something about that very interesting to me about creating jobs for people with low skill levels. But before we do that, why is this taken off in Europe? I gather in Europe, most educated people, if you said circular economy, they would know exactly what you were talking about. Is that right? Well, I would hope so, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, but why is it taking off in Europe, at least already among policymakers? It's basically because we have made the analysis that we have no natural resources in Europe. We, are, we do not have any natural resources under the ground, but we have a lot of, of resources above the ground in the form of all of these products which we currently have on the biggest consumer market in the world. And so if we, if we do not want to get dependent on other countries, in the end, this is a reason also, apart from the climate reason, to start reusing our materials. You had a wonderful slide today. You had the words, mine the city. I like that so much. Presumably, this is mine like extract things, not so landmines, but mine the city. What is that idea? Well, actually, the city is a very concentrated pool of resources. So it's a, it's, it's a place where you can actually develop new models, where you can develop new cycles, where you can develop new change of business partners, because they're all close together. Mine the city means use all of the resources in the city to the most efficient extent. Use the excess heat of an industry to heat the homes. Make sure that the cars that you have can be used by multiple persons. Make sure that the waste that is produced by the households is actually uh, separated so that you can use it to make new products of high quality. Mine the city means make the cities much more efficient. You gave a couple of great examples today of just tweaking the incentives for households to separate their trash. And here in the Washington area, most of us recycle, and at least in my jurisdiction, it's single stream. They sort of gave up on trying to get people to separate, so you put it all in a bin. Uh, the garbage is out, but the paper and the glass and everything is together. People like that, but I gather it's not as efficient. Things get contaminated. So how do you get people to separate things? Well, yeah, it's, it's important that we make that we don't only recycle, that, but we really retain the value of these materials. And how do you retain the value if you retain the quality of the materials? And for retaining the quality, it's important that you collect them separately. And so what we have been doing is we're even charging residual waste by the kilo. So if you, if you recycle less, then you pay more. Or everything that's being recycled is picked up at your, on your doorstep, but your residual waste, you'll have to walk a block to put it into a container. So there's an actual incentive every day. You don't want to you know, cross the block with your heavy bag of garbage. So you ha you'd better make sure that you separate it and recycle it. And then it's picked up on your doorstep. Now, that needs a little enforcement. If you did that in my neighborhood, people would put their mixed refuse in the recycling, right? Until they got fined, they would just cheat, right? But, yeah. <laughs> of course, as with anything, you, know, you need to make sure that you find the people that abuse the system. Uh, so that happens, uh, or it's not getting picked up anymore, and then you have to drag everything to the other side. So uh, there's, there's all kinds of incentives which you can, you can do. But generally, because there's such a strong uh, effect on climate change, and if you can explain to people that, they, that this is what they can do in their everyday life, people will feel good in making sure that they recycle. So they're willing to do it, like in the US, but you just need to make sure that you also create the markets for the use of these secondary materials. And that's an important next step. 
What sort of pickup are you getting from big corporations in the Netherlands on this? Well, it's actually really interesting. We've had some uh, some uh, big corporations like our major airline, our national airline, KLM. They are actually themselves recycling the old uniforms of their stewardesses uh, into carpets for their new uh, dream uh, liners. So they are actually doing it themselves. And a lot of big companies have seen that it makes good economic sense that they want to contribute to combating climate change because it's gives them a good position in the consumer market. So they're actually out there doing it. You gave a nice example today of uh, fishing nets. Of course, Netherlands is a major fishing nation getting recycled into carpets. And you said the government had a role there as a matchmaker. Yes, I think uh, this is really a very interesting example. We had those, those fishermen that had the nets which they no could no longer use for fishing. But of course, the fiber is very high quality fiber. And then we had the carpet maker who was actually looking for high quality fiber and he could perfectly use the old fishing nets to make a beautiful high quality carpet. But how is somebody from a how is a carpet maker going to meet a fisherman? They don't meet in a pub on the corner of the street. And so there is a role for government to make sure that if I have a product which is my residual product and you need resources that you know how to find me and I know how to find you because we're very much likely to be in totally different sectors that would never have anything to do with each other so there's a role for government as a matchmaker. Do you have goals now in the Netherlands in terms of you know looking out five years ten years how does one measure the extent to which an economy has become circular and if you know how to measure it what are your long-term goals, either for the country or your own goals as a leader in this movement? Well, the goals for the country are that we want to be a circular economy in 2050, and we want to have reduction of material use of 50% already in 2030, which means that we've set the goals and now we're going to be implementing them at good speed with all of the partners that you need to do this. And one very important aspect of this is making sure that in your public procurement as a government, you raise the right question. You need to put a different question in the market and the market will then respond with different solutions. And I think that is somewhere, something that we still can make a lot of progress on, as in fiscal incentives. Um, it's interesting you mentioned procurement because in today's panel we had a representative from Philips, which I guess is Philips lighting to most of us, and he described a project they have with the Washington area um, metro, where instead of selling them lights, they're leasing them light and they changed the procurement so that they were in a terrible negotiation about how many lights and how often will you change them and finally somebody actually on the government side well actually we don't care how many fixtures we just want the light can you just pay the light and then, then i think they're splitting the difference on the electricity savings yeah this is a very interesting example and we see this all the time why as a government do i want to be the owner of a chair or the owner of a fixture. I have no interest in doing that. I have interest in having a good chair so that the people that work for me do not get back pains. I have the interest in having good lighting so that the people are productive. That's where my interest lies. And so when I go into the market, when I buy this, that's, that's the quality that I want to buy. And the way that the company is going to provide for this quality, that should be up to them. And this, this, this example of the lighting is very interesting because now Philips actually has an incentive not to use many bulbs but to use as little as possible, to, to, to use as few as possible and to use as little energy as possible because that generates a profit for them. And so through this public procurement, you generate in this marketplace, which is just a normal marketplace, a very different incentive and a very, very different reasoning. 
And then, of course, splitting, splitting the profits makes it also profitable for the government. So very interesting concept. I want to come back to the jobs question. You said something today. You told a story about being in a place where they were disassembling something. Yeah. And it created jobs for people who otherwise wouldn't have them. Yeah. Tell us that story. Well, that, that's a very... Uh, I, I was so happy to see that example. Um, because, of course, um, in tomorrow's markets, in tomorrow's world, just as in today, not everybody has the same capabilities. Not everybody is going to be uh, trained at the university. So we also are going to need jobs for people who do not have the abilities to have the high-level high skilled jobs. And there's also people who have, for example, a mental illness or a nervous breakdown. Um, and I was visiting uh, a social enterprise, as we call it in the Netherlands, where there were people that were disassembling, that were cutting off the, the, um, the, cords. the cords from old electronic appliances. Uh, and they were taking the cords apart, separating the plastic from the copper. And the price of this copper, as a secondary material, actually pays for their salaries. So they, it's a social company, so the company doesn't make a lot of profit, but it makes enough money to, to employ these people. They're so earning these, a living. They're earning a living. So they have every day, they have a reason to get up in the morning. They're not on government welfare. So this really pays off for society, but most of all, it pays off for these people who just have a job and be proud of themselves. And I guess some of those jobs, I mean, with the copper in the cables, you might export the cables and have it done elsewhere. But for many of them, it's not going to make sense to ship it. So these are jobs that are not going to get offshored these in are the more jobs, developed econ yeah. economies. These are jobs that are not going to get offshored, and, uh, and they are going to provide opportunities for people in your own country. So that's really very, very important. Um, I want to close by asking you the question I asked you today in our discussion about going uh, international with this. You're not only a leader in environmental sustainability. You're also, as I understand, the member of parliament who's responsible for overseeing foreign assistance. And so you have a global perspective. Um, my question, and I liked your answer, so I'll just repeat the question, was all well and good to do this in a place like the Netherlands where there's high levels of trust and more or less homogeneous uh, society and I said well-educated people, but how do you do it in a place that's got really divisive politics like the United States or, you know, maybe even more challenging in a place like India or in, in Africa where the political systems may not be functioning very well? Yeah. Well, this is, this is a, a kind of an economic system that provides a win-win for everybody. It's a more efficient economy, it's more jobs, it's also lower skilled jobs, and it's good for climate ch for combating climate change. So this is a way in which we can enable people everywhere in the world to have at least the possibilities to have a decent standard of living. And if we say that this enables people all around the world to buy products, then it's also good for the developed countries, it's good for the developing countries. So it's, it's a way in which we can ensure that within the planetary boundaries, we can make sure that people have a decent life wherever they live in the world. I said it was my last question, but I realized I told you I was going to ask one more, and that is you very thoughtfully ended your presentation with a few words for what the World Resources Institute could do. I'm not going to promise here that we're going to do those things, but I think some of our listeners will be very interested. So what is WRI's potential contribution in this transition to a circular economy? Well, first of all, let me say that I find the work that WRI is doing is incredibly important. It really is. And why is it so important? And why do you absolutely need to focus more on this? I think we need to, and you need to, um, scope the challenge. You need to get the message out there, make it visible that this mega trends of a growing population, growing wealth, and an Earth which is, our planet's not gonna grow. 
our planet's going to stay exactly the same. So we'll have to do it with whatever we have on this planet. You need, so you need to scope the challenge. And thereby raising awareness of the need to change. It's not that we have to do less, it's have, we have to do things smarter. Um, and in that sense, I think you can also provide, you can also map the solutions and present policy options to governments worldwide on what choices they can make, because it's also sometimes a lack of knowledge of what the best practices are out there. Um, and that way, I think you can be a great support to governments in their policy debates because you provide the hard facts. And that's one of the things I like so much about WRI. Your work is rock solid and it will just be, you know, people will not be able to ignore it. They'll see these are the facts on which we have to act and these are the options that we have. Your contribution will be invaluable. Thank you. You've given us a really valuable direction. I'm definitely uh, inspired by this. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. My guest has been Steenje van Heldoven. How did I do on that time? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, she's a member of parliament uh, in the Netherlands and one of the country's top leaders in thinking about sustainability. Uh, she's been here with us at WRI for a couple of days, um, educating us and inspiring us about the circular economy. Uh, please join me next time for our next podcast. Until then, I'm Lawrence McDonald. Thanks very much. <laughs>